If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I welcome you into the Handicast for Monday, March the 7th. If I sound a little bit uh, hoarse, the voice is not great today. It's because everywhere I went this weekend was loud. I was in Houston uh, for the Minute Maid Park series. Uh, saw two of LSU's three games live, and everywhere I went, it was loud. It was loud in the stadium. It was loud in the places that we watched the basketball game. Uh, it was loud outside the stadium. I had to talk loud. I talked loud a lot. And so I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with the voice today, so bear with me. I came very close to having my wife do the podcast, and I was just going to feed her notes, but then she was going to ad-lib, and I decided that probably wasn't a good idea. So, uh, again, bear with me as we uh, we go through what was a, a real busy weekend with uh, a lot of different stuff to cover. Let's start with basketball. LSU basketball wins their regular season finale against Alabama. Um, cool because it broke a five-game losing streak to Alabama, and if you know anything about me, you know I'm not crazy about that school. Uh, so I was, uh, you know, pleased to see that LSU won the game. It was a great send-off for uh, guys like Darius Days, who's been here a long time and had a really, really strong game, and has been, you know, just a, a really important part of the the, the Will Wade era. Uh, the the re the, the rejuvenization of LSU basketball. Uh, I love Darius Days. I, I love the way he plays. He's not a perfect player by any means, but uh, I I felt like every time Darius Days played, uh, I got a good I got his best effort, and I got uh, a guy who could shoot. I got a guy who could rebound. He could do a little bit of everything. And um, for his final home game. You know, I thought that uh, I thought that was a nice send off, and for Xavier Pinson and and, and almost certainly Tari Eason as well, uh, their final home game. So uh, for, for LSU to overcome some mistakes and you know win that game the way in the in the manner in which they did was uh, was certainly nice to see. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the game. I'd rather talk about the the big picture because I think it's way more important at this stage of the season. I, I've heard this a lot, and I, I was with a lot of L, around a lot of LSU fans during this game. Uh, the, we were at a, uh, a bar and grill outside of Minute Maid Park, a few blocks away. So a lot of LSU fans were doing exactly what we did, which was watch the basketball game, waiting for the baseball game to start that night. And everybody was into it. It was, you know, one of those real intense atmospheres. It felt like it was that. I've heard it was that way in the PMAC, and that's great. Uh, I'm all for atmosphere and uh, and college uh, athletics. You know, one of my favorite things. But as far as the actual game itself went, I'm not sure how much it mattered. Um, I've heard a lot of wow, this gives LSU a lot of momentum going into the SEC tournament. It's going to improve seating. Listen, if you go back to the three game win streak that they had over Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida. And then the two games that they lost immediately after that, the first time they played Arkansas and Alabama, this is right about the middle of January, almost two months ago. LSU's RPI, NET, 
settled in at about 16. And it's been in concrete there for almost two months. Now, keep in mind what's happened over the last two months. You've had some long losing streaks. You've had some short winning streaks. You're about 500 in the conference. You've had some really good wins. Uh, Like I said, Saturday was a really good win. You've had some really tough losses, uh, like the one against Ole Miss. And yet LSU's NET has stayed at about 16. It it really hasn't mattered a whole lot. Whether they won or lost, uh, for the last two months, that's where it's been. And Joe Lenardi, who does this as well as anybody, has had them in bracketology as a number six seed, as he does today, as he has had for most of the last two months. You know, here and there, they may have bumped up or down a spot. But for the last two months, win or lose, LSU has been at 16 in the NET and 6 in the bracketology. For the moment, I'm going to go with Lenardi because he's right way more than he's wrong. Getting the 5 seed in the SEC tournament means that their first game is going to be against someone that can only hurt you. Uh, A win over Ole Miss or Missouri in the first round is not going to move their NET needle at all. It's not, I I think it highly unlikely. I'm not in the room with the committee, so I shouldn't say definitely, but my belief is that it won't move their seed very much. Now, does the committee think the same of LSU seed as Lenardi does? I I can't swear to that. Um, There is some thought that there's a bias against LSU and Will Wade. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories today, but... Um, I don't think that the SEC tournament is going to sway LSU's uh, seeding in the NCAAs unless they were to go on a run into the weekend. I'm not even sure at this point that a win over Arkansas in the second round would would bump them up to the five line if the committees got them there. Listen, it, it was great that they got the win, uh, and momentum means something. So I, the game is not meaningless. It's not where I'm going with this. But what I'm telling you is I think that because I've watched where their NET has been, I've tried to update on the podcast without being too, you know, just beat you over the head with it, it's been the same for the last two months. And I'll be shocked if a week from now it's any different. Now, if they won the SEC tournament, well, that would be different. You know, if you could string together a win over Arkansas and two other highly ranked teams, well, then, yeah, of course, that would do something different. But if LSU goes, the, the chalk is one and one in this uh, in this tournament, they're likely to beat the winner of Ole Miss, Missouri, and lose to Arkansas. That's what's the most likely to happen. It keeps them right about where they are. And so I don't know that the big picture changed a whole bunch this weekend. Even though it was a, a terrific win, fun to be a part of, and it's it's always fun to beat Alabama. But in the big picture, I think LSU is right where they were a week ago, and the week before that, 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 and you get the picture. I feel the same way about the LSU women. Although their NET hasn't been <clears throat> as high as their projected seed, they have also been in the same place for not as long as the men, but I would say about a month. Uh, they've been sitting on the the two three line their NET is lower than the men even though their seed is higher and we talked about why in our our seeding podcast last week the LSU women have a schedule that has almost no middle to it it has a very very strong top and a very very weak bottom 
And so that very, very weak bottom of the schedule, those last seven games on the on the on the totem pole there are are dragging that NET down past where uh, their seating is. Charlie Cream, who's the Joe Lenardi on the women's side, has them as a two seed, and he's had them there for quite a few weeks. I don't think that the he's got them there today. So the loss to Kentucky, who ended up winning the SEC tournament with the upset over South Carolina, um, they they end up pretty much in the same spot. I I'm not sure, uh, but I think that even if the LSU women had won the SEC tournament. It was still likely they were going to be two seed again. If you want to go back and listen to all the reasons why we did a whole podcast on this last week, I'm almost of the opinion you never want to lose a game, of course. Uh, but overall, big picture, they might be better off with the time off to get healthy and get into the NCAA tournament because I think the likelihood of their seed was uh, was the same at two. So uh, men's basketball. We'll play later this week uh, against either Ole Miss or Missouri. Women are waiting on uh, where they will be in the NCAA tournament uh, coming up uh, next, starting next week. So that's that's uh, basketball. Uh, we're brought to you by Supreme Rice and SupremeRice.com. Drove right through Crowley, Louisiana on our way to Houston. And, of course, our friends down at Supreme Rice, where all of the rice is grown, milled, and processed down here in South Louisiana. It's our favorite, uh, the jasmine in particular, the brown, the long grain, whether it's a jambalaya, a gumbo, a crawfish etouffee, red beans and rice, make it with Supreme Rice. Stretch your food dollar and get delicious Supreme Rice at the same time. It's real easy to pick up. And all of your Walmarts, all of your Costco's, all of your Rouse's, and all of your AG food stores, make it Supreme Rice. And for more information and great recipes, go to SupremeRice.com. Let's get to the, uh, the the baseball part. And first of all, I've been uh, to Minute Maid Park every time that LSU has been there in this series. It's the fourth time the Tigers have been there. It's a tremendous tournament. It's great for college baseball. And this is the best one that I've been to uh, by far, as far as atmosphere goes. Uh, maybe it was the teams that were there, but I've seen LSU and Texas play before at that at that park, and it wasn't nearly like it was Saturday night. Maybe it's uh, you know the first time that uh, you've really been able to have this tournament in in you know two years because of COVID, a, a real full crowd. But man, uh, Friday was terrific, but Saturday was off the charts. Um, I can only equate it for a regular season game uh, to games that LSU played in the early 2000s against Tulane, the Superdome. That was when Tulane was at the height of their power. It was pre-Katrina, and they had made a couple of Omaha appearances. They had beaten LSU in a Super Regional. And between, say, 2001 and 2005, uh, the, the programs were really jostling back and forth, and they played some games in the Superdome that drew over 20,000. This game on Saturday night between LSU and Texas drew right at 25. Um, 20 to 25,000 baseball fans in the Superdome get swallowed up. Look, I had a lot of fun at those games. It was a tremendous atmosphere in Louisiana. It was a, a tremendous rivalry there for uh, for those years. But the Superdome is not a baseball arena, and it swallows up 25,000 people. Minute Maid doesn't. Because this completely filled the bottom level and almost all of the second level and the third level isn't open. So um, the LSU and Texas fans, but you know what? I saw fans, you know, several hundred fans from UCLA 
which is surprised me. And, of course, with Baylor and Oklahoma there, just a tremendous weekend for college baseball. Uh, can't wait to get back there again because that's it's always a fun time. The results of the baseball had um, uh, a lot of different outcomes, good and bad. So let's go through uh, a lot of this. Tigers won the first game against Oklahoma uh, on Friday. Uh, so let's start with uh, with that game. The good there, uh, Blake Money, uh, six and two thirds inning, seven strikeouts, one walk, looked very much in, compa- uh, in command as the level of competition ratcheted up. Money's a big key for this team because you got to have a number one. You've heard me talk about that. He looks every bit the part of the one. Uh, if the third time graduates him, I feel real good about Blake Money as the number one pitcher going into SEC play. Not only did he have that strikeout-to-walk ratio, he got LSU deep into the game, and he pitched around uh, some pretty bad defense. And bad defense is going to be a theme here, unfortunately, as we talk about these games. But, you know, he gave up three runs, but only one of them was earned. So to keep your composure in that situation, I really liked what I saw out of Blake Money. Liked what I saw out of uh, out of Eric Roselman. His velocity is such, and, and he played and uh, pitched in two games this weekend. It, to me, he is the strongest candidate on the, the roster to close. They haven't had a save situation yet uh, through the first uh, three weeks of the season, but that's obviously going to change at some point. Reiselman, if LSU were playing Texas A&M tonight in the SEC opener and the score was 3-2, to two, going to the ninth inning, and they said, who do you want to pitch out of the bullpen? I would send Reiselman. Three weeks ago, I would have sent Fontenot. Today, I send Reiselman. So I thought he pitched uh, really well. Uh, something else good this uh, in this game, uh, they came from behind uh, three times uh, in this game. Uh, the game was tied, or, or rather, came from behind twice and then the walk-off. You're down two in the eighth, you come back, you tie it. You're down one in the tenth, you come back, you tie it. And then Thompson hits the walk-off to win the game. Uh, that shows you you've got a little bit of a little bit of courage, a little bit of uh, a little bit of cojones uh, to you. And I was. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I was, uh, I was real pleased uh, to, to see that. The defense was bad in this game, and it got worse, frankly, as the uh, the weekend went along. But the positives uh, were money, uh, were Reiselman. And, um, you know, over the weekend, uh, you know, Morgan hit four hits. Doty hit five hits. The two-run homer to tie it. Uh, you know, other than Thompson's hit was the biggest hit of the weekend. Uh, Jacob Barry had four hits over the weekend, so you know he had some offensive uh, offensive stuff going in there that was was pretty good, and uh, I was pleased to see that. So you move into the uh, the Texas game, and here's where the here's where the errors really start uh, start to crush you. And you had ten errors over the weekend. That's something that you can look at if you didn't see any of the games. I was at two of the games and watched the game last night on my phone because Major League Baseball and MLB.com just seem to want to alienate every baseball fan that they can. But I, I may get to that later in the week. I don't want to waste time on that today. Um, the, the defense was actually much worse 
in my opinion, than the, the 10 errors would indicate. And 10 errors in three games would indicate lousy defense, and it was. But it was worse than the box scores indicated. Because of the plays that they could have made that don't go as errors. Uh, and there was, you know, a very clear uh, one hopper to, to Barry at third that just gets right through him. The game last night against Bailey, you've got a double play ball that you don't make the play on. The the next guy hits a homer. Um, you know, you got a two out, nine hole, it's two outs, a nine hole hitter up. You get him in an 0-2 count. You don't make the play there. The next guy hits a three-run homer. Um, it, this stuff just crushed LSU all weekend. And I, I don't know uh, what you do other than go out there and try to improve on that. But I've got I've got some suggestions. Okay, so, so here we go. Jacob Berry is a tremendous hitter. Four hits over the weekend. He's already got five homers. Wouldn't surprise me if he's the Offensive Player of the Year in the Southeastern Conference. Wouldn't surprise me if he's the Offensive Player of the Year nationally. Uh, there were some preseason publications that had him there. But right now, he does not have a position that he cannot field without being a huge defensive liability. Seen him in the outfield, seen him at third base. The most deceiving stat they got going right now is that Jacob Berry has zero errors. There have been at, at, at least four that I can think of just without even you know really plowing into it. Plays that should have been made in the first three weeks of the season, both in the infield and the outfield. I told you about the play against Texas. It gets just right through him. You got to make that play. I mean, yeah, the ball's got a little bit of steam to it, but that's a big one hopper. You got to make that play. He's not comfortable in the outfield. He's not comfortable in the infield. Um, he's a DH. I, I know that there may have been uh, some agreement that you know he would play a position this year because he was a DH almost exclusively last year, and I know that helps your draft stock. But right now, in the field, Barry is a liability. K. Doty looks. Tremendously uncomfortable at second base, and you know he's already made uh, eight. Uh, I'm sorry, he's already made uh, five errors. He made eight all of last year, playing mostly at third base. But see, this is a little bit easier to fix because if you tell Barry he's just got a DH, you know, I, I think there's probably an understanding that he was going to play a position here. But right now, defensively, it's hurting the team. Um, Jack Merrifield. Also looks uncomfortable over at third base. They looked good the first weekend, but there weren't a lot of weren't a lot of balls that uh, you know could have eaten him up, and they had a lot of big leads. So Merrifield's looked uncomfortable at third. But last year at LSU, Eunice he only made three errors in fifty-seven games. Doty only made eight errors uh, in sixty-three games for LSU last year, playing mostly at third base. Hey, here's an idea I've got. Put Merrifield back where he played last year at second base at LSU Eunice, where he didn't make hardly any errors, and put Doty back at third base, where he hardly made any errors last year. That's my that's my suggestion right now. And defense is going to be you know even more important with Alex Malazzo out uh, for I don't know how long, uh, but every play is going to be important. Malazzo you know, stole you some strikes behind the plate. He controlled the running game. Um, the guys behind him aren't quite as good defensively, though uh, they played well last night. The, uh, the the defense has got to improve, and you know my suggestion, at least for now, and it doesn't have to stay this way for sixty five more games, okay, or, or sixty more games. But right now, they would be best defensively if Merrifield were playing second, Doty were playing third, and Barry were DHing. 
That's based on their performance last year and their performance through the first three weeks of this year. That's just my uh, that's just my uh, uh, opinion. There was a problem with putting Barry at DH in the first couple of weeks, but Braden Jobert came out of the gate so strong. Jobert was one for nine this weekend. So if you're going to put Barry in that spot, uh, he's the better hitter uh, at, at this point. He's the better hitter, period. So the defensive uh, problems, I think, can probably be a little bit fixed by doing that. The other move I would make is uh, Giovanni Giacomo into the outfield. I think he's the best defensive outfielder that they have, whether that be in center or in right. Uh, he didn't have a whole lot of at-bats this weekend. He only had five at-bats. Uh, he was one for five, but we've seen Gio enough to know that he can be a, a full-time player. And uh, defensively and offensively, I think uh, he's probably needs to get into the lineup at this point and see what it looks like. Okay, Still got some games uh, before conference play starts. I would certainly take a look uh, at that. Um, Ty Floyd, tough weekend. Uh, we, we went into the weekend saying uh, we like Ty Floyd's fastball. We haven't seen the secondary pitches develop. Uh, the curveball is, is he's struggling with it a little bit right now. And he's walking too many people. He had walked five and ten innings going into the weekend. He walked four and four innings this weekend. Um, you just got to continue to work with him. I don't uh, I don't know how long you, you stay with that before maybe you you start talking about a different role for him. But right now, uh, the the problems for him are very very clear. He's just walking way too many uh, way too many people. Uh, some other things are from the weekend, like Samuel Dutton, uh, thought he looked uh, okay uh, in in his time to pitch. Liked the first inning that I saw with Paul Gervais, um, and then. Again, the defense gets him. It should have been a double play to get out of the inning. Don't make the play. Home run, two-run shot, and he's uh, he's out of the game. But I think Gervais, first of all, he doesn't want many people at all. He throws uh, almost, you know, he's a strike thrower. At six foot ten, he provides a different uh, a, a different release point. You're not going to be able to simulate that for other teams. Um, is he ready to go uh, into a more prominent role? Right now, maybe not. Maybe he's a he's a one inning guy for right now. But I see a tremendous amount of potential there, and I like uh, like what I've seen there. Some of the other things uh, over the weekend: um, lack of aggressiveness late in the game at the plate. Um, Stevenson, Thompson, and Travinsky all uh, took call third strikes at crucial points in the game with runners on base late. Uh, would like to see them be a little bit more aggressive at the plate, but I, I'm less worried about that. Uh, than some of the um, some of the other problems defensively that I have seen. So for LSU, a learning experience. Um, you would have certainly liked to have held on to that lead last night and gotten two out of three. Not the end of the world. Um, I know that uh, a lot of people look at this and say, oh, well, you know, if you can't step up in competition, it's just going to be that way. The whole no um, teams evolve, get better, get worse, but they they will evolve. And this, I think this LSU, there's a lot of talent there. There's a lot of things uh, that I like. So uh, for LSU, not the results that they wanted over the weekend, but a learning experience nonetheless. We're brought to you by Louisiana Health and Injury Centers, helping you deal with pain. Uh, you know, Dr. Michael Goff and his staff have done such a great job for our family. So if you've got an old auto accident, an old sports injury, and they're starting to flare up on you, it's got things that hurt, shoulder pain, neck pain, back pain, things that Right, uh, restricting your range of motion, things that are um, causing you to lose some sleep, 
uh, just become the center of everything that you're doing. Know that uh, Louisiana Health and Injury Centers can get you into a program that's tailor-made for you and will ease your pain. And some of the stuff is preventive maintenance and others uh, are a little bit more advanced techniques. So whatever your pain, let Louisiana Health and Injury Centers do for you what they've done for me, and which is reduce that pain. Airline Highway, Plank Road, and Jefferson Highway near Drusilla. Final uh, final story that I want to talk about is the transfer of Jaden Daniels. Uh, the three-year starter quarterback for Arizona State is coming to LSU, and he will be a part of spring practice. This is a uh, this is an eye-opening move uh, to me for both Daniels and for uh, and for Brian Kelly. Daniels is a three-year starter. He could have gone back to Arizona State and started. He could have gone other places that it would have been a lot clearer path to the starting job. Even though LSU doesn't have a returning starter, they've got two returning players, one of whom is going into his sixth year, and they've got a hotshot freshman who I know is hurt right now, but um, there are less crowded quarterback rooms And he could have waited until after spring practice, and there would have been maybe even less crowded quarterback rooms, although I know he wanted to play spring football wherever he was going to play this fall. Um, My question is, uh, what does Jaden Daniels know that uh, that we don't know? Because you kind of went into this thinking LSU's quarterback room was full. The quarterback rooms don't stay full anymore for very long. You get three guys and usually one of them transfers uh, or if you got four guys definitely one of them transfers <coughs> excuse me Jaden Daniels a three-year starter in my opinion wouldn't have transferred to LSU if he didn't think he, he was going to be the starter and I know there's going to be a competition but guys that have played as much football as he has they kind of know right kind of look at it and go nope I can beat those guys out so uh It was a really eye-popping move because up until that point, kind of felt like LSU's quarterback room was full. From Brian Kelly's standpoint, you got four spots left. There's some other holes on this roster. Um, There there are other transfers that you could bring in at more needy positions, frankly, at this point. But they took him. Now, he's a good football player. I'm not not saying that. I'm saying, you know, where where are your needs? I wouldn't put quarterback right now as one of their top two or three needs. But maybe Brian Kelly thinks differently. Maybe he's looked at the film. Maybe he's looked at workouts. Maybe he's met, you know, with his quarterback room and goes, you know what, guys? I need one more. Um, otherwise, you, you again, you've got four scholarships left. And there's a chance if, if Jane Daniels isn't the starting quarterback, then you will have used one on a guy that might not end up playing very much. But the way I read it, my opinion, my opinion only. Jaden Daniels doesn't transfer to LSU if he doesn't think he's going to be the starting quarterback. And Brian Kelly doesn't take him if he doesn't think he's going to be the starting quarterback. We'll see how the competition plays out. But new coach, uh, going to be a senior quarterback, they decide to, uh, you know, team up. Well, tells me that both of those guys think that there's a real good chance that Jaden Daniels is going to be the starting quarterback uh, at, at LSU when they uh, when they teed up against Florida State. Three-year starter, threw for over 6,000 yards, 32 touchdowns at Arizona State, and yeah, he can run over 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns on the ground 
And frankly, that's not something that uh, Miles Brennan brings to the table. Nussmeyer can move a little bit, but I don't think that well. And Walker Howard is is still nursing a, a, a leg in, a leg injury. So uh, certainly, when you look at Daniels, it's the best opportunity for a quarterback that can hurt you with his feet. Try to get the voice a little bit better for tomorrow for Monday, March the seventh. This has been the Handicast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.